What's up, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and so glad to be with you for week two of the regular season and this trip coming up to Cleveland. Oh, boy. Now, in years past, trip to Cleveland, eh, you go in there, you beat a team that's 4-12, and 0-16. That's not this club. That is not... The Cleveland Browns. Those are your older brother, your older brothers, Cleveland Browns. This group, oh boy, talented, very talented, well coached, well managed by GM Andrew Barry. Kevin Stefanski is a descendant of the Gary Kubiak system, close friend of Gary Kubiak. It's really uh, all there for Cleveland. However, the Browns, unable to come through and get a win. Last Sunday against the Chiefs, had a lead pretty much throughout that game. But punter dropped the ball, Chiefs scored, and then the Browns could not make much of the last two drives of the game. Baker threw an interception on the final play, and the fi- their final offensive play. And the Chiefs get the win. The Browns 0-1, hurting a little bit, need to get that win. And the Texans are up on the schedule, and Vegas probably... Uh, agrees with those people in Cleveland that, oh, we're going to get a win, 12.5 point favorite over the Texans. So, tough one and a tough hill to climb on Sunday. But with this group, man, I'll tell you what, go to battle against anybody, anywhere. They'll show up physically, no doubt. This group will show up physically. And showing up on the show tonight, man, how about Nick Casario? Our two-on-one, Mark Vandermeer and myself, with Nick, we'll do that in our next segment. We touched on a lot of a lot of things. Game Sunday, last game Sunday, this game coming up on Sunday. We got into a lot of different stuff with Nick. Then Nathan Segura from the Cleveland Browns. He basically is the me of Cleveland. He's sideline reporter. There's a lot of media stuff. He is our behind enemy sidelines interview of the week with our good friend DP Sidhu. Then Mark Vandermeer is going to stop by. We'll talk about. More than likely the game against Cleveland and some of our thoughts about taking on Baker Mayfield and this Browns bunch that is extremely talented. But it's a remade defense. But it's remade with a lot of high-quality parts. As the Waterboy once said, high-quality H2O. But these are high-quality defensive players. Offense, pretty much everybody's back. I mean, it's the same group. With one major exception. Yeah, day three rookie. We'll get into that. Uh, probably a little bit more on Friday um, in our keys to the game, but that's for down the road. Then it's in the lab time. Drew and I look back on the win against the Jacksonville Jaguars and what went right. Who's going to be our key players for Sunday? Mine is a linebacker, and it's a name you've heard for a while. Now well, that'll give it away because every linebacker was new except for one. So that should probably give it away who my player to watch for this Sunday is going to be. So we've got plenty to do on this show, but we're going to kick it off with some hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Now we're going to do a little David Cully, head coach David Cully, audio jukebox. Love doing that on Wednesday. He kind of, it's just interesting listening to him and compare that to previous coaches I've heard with the Texans. He's gotten so much more comfortable, and he just gets right to the point, tells you what he thinks. Next question, let's go. It's, um, it's the right way of saying this. It's, an, it's a much more enjoyable listen, so we'll get to some of the nuggets that he had uh, from his press conference today. But first, 
We've got to get to the all-important injury report. Now, today in Cleveland, Kevin Stefanski said on his side that Odell Beckham Jr. would be out of this game. And I'm sure that if some people heard that, they're like, yeah, okay, no OBJ, that's good, that's good. Um, <laughs> maybe. Because with him out, it means probably Anthony Schwartz. We're going to see a little bit more. But we'll get to the Browns in a second. But I thought that was probably the most important part. Stefanski already ruling Odell out, even though he was a limited participant in practice dealing with that knee situation. But for your Texans, the DNPs, four of them. Farrell Brown, uh, dealing with an ankle and a shoulder. Des King, nickel, dealing with a knee. KPL, who did not play last week, dealing with a thigh. And Andre Roberts, uh, back dealing with a knee issue. So those four DMPs, I don't panic too much on Wednesday. We'll see if they're able to get back in, even by a limited capacity on Thursday and be full on Friday. But today, not in full pads. Thursday is typically the day in full pads until you get to a point where none of the practices are in full pads. But Farrow, Desmond, KPL, Andre Roberts, all DMPs. One good sight, stress the number one, was Lonnie Johnson. Limited participant in practice today. He's been dealing with that thigh issue. He was out of the game against Jacksonville, but he's back as a limited participant. And back in a full participation uh, capacity, Jonathan Grenard. He He got sick last week, not COVID, just ill. And he is back and was back. Saw him at practice and... Just saw him running around. I was like, oh, okay. Now, the Browns got a few more um, big names, I guess. Actually, just more names. Let's go to the DNP category. And this one gets dicey. They have three tackles on the roster. Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills Jr., and Chris Hubbard. All three. We're on the DNP side. Conklin, a knee, Hubbard, triceps, Wills, and ankle. Now, in the game against the Chiefs, Wills got hurt early in that game. I think probably first, late first quarter, early second. He came out and never went back in. He tweeted afterwards something to the extent of, you know, that he was going to be okay. Now, I don't know if that meant he was going to be okay to play next week against us. But Conklin, a knee, Hubbard, triceps, Wills, ankle. That could get dicey. Now, because that's all three of your tackles. Another one is J.C. Treader. He's the starting center. He's also the NFLPA president. So if you heard that name and it makes uh, it registered, well, that's why. He's dealing with a knee issue. Four offensive linemen, three starters on the DNP list for the Browns. And one uh, rookie, defensive lineman Tommy, Tommy Togiai, dealing with illness. He was also out. So three of the five starters did not participate at practice today on the offensive line. Uh, and then a fourth, being Chris Hubbard, their swing tackle, who replaced Wills. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on for Sunday with the Browns. Limited participants already said OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. dealing with a knee. He has been ruled out. So, and by ruled out, I mean Kevin Stefanski said he was out. Now, is it a little bit of bluffing? I don't think I've ever seen one of those and. We'll have, to, we'll have to ask around. I don't remember seeing one of those. Coach says he's out, but, oh, he got better and he's going to play. So, 
he said he's out. I'm going with it. OBJ knee, more than likely out, but he was a limited participant practice. Grant Delpit, you know, the hamstring was a limited participant. Michael Dunn, the rookie Greg Newsome. Another rookie, Anthony Schwartz. Newsom dealing with the biceps, Schwartz dealing with the knee. And that's key because Schwartz is one of the fastest guys in the NFL, maybe the fastest guy in the NFL. And linebacker Mac Wilson dealing with the quad. Full participant practice was Troy Hill dealing with the hamstring. Now, I say all that about the Browns because those are some pretty important names to their particular squad. However, if there is a team that understands how to deal with adversity and players and coaches out, it's the Browns. That playoff game they won last year against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they didn't have Kevin Stefanski. Uh, they were without, I think, their offensive coordinator as well. They somehow pieced it together. Joel Batonio didn't play in that game. and They somehow pieced it together, scored over 40, and beat the Steelers on the road to playoff game. So, I don't think players being out uh, or being out of practice, uh, being out of the game, are going to slow them down in any way, shape, or form. Look, as long as you look out there and there's number 95, there's number 90, there's number 80, number 6 is still playing quarterback, yeah, I I think the Browns will be uh, just fine. Oh, by the way, 24 and 27 are as good a pair of running backs as you're going to find. Okay, that gets the injury report in Zay Books. Let's get to a couple of transactions that took place for the Texans. They have been made official. We talked about the Vincent Taylor injury. Found out late last night he's going to be out six to eight weeks, you know, with an ankle issue. I like six to eight weeks as opposed to out for the year. So I know it, it stinks for VT because he really was on a roll, but he can get back. So he goes on reserve slash injured. Coming back, oh, this is great to see. Jaleel Johnson, who had a really good preseason, uh, and he'll step right into that void of uh, Vincent Taylor. So Jaleel comes back and signs with the team. The Texans also signed the following player to the practice squad. Grayland Arnold. That name sounds familiar to Baylor Bears fans. Well, that's because he played at Baylor. Grayland Arnold added to the practice squad. The Texans released Antonio Phillips from Ball State, a rookie. Arnold's got a couple years' experience in the league. Phillips was a rookie, so they go with the experienced guy. So Jalil in, VT to IR. Grayland Arnold in to practice squad. And then Antonio Phillips released from the practice squad. So that handles transactions. That handles injuries. Let's get to our guy, David Cully with a little Texans audio jukebox. I can't sing, but I try. I try. I don't even sing in the shower. Everybody says, oh, you people sing in the shower. No, I never sing in the shower. I only sing in the car, and I don't even sing in the car. I just, I just lip sync. So that's just me. All right, let's get to it. Right off the top, Coach Cully was asked about the pass protection the other day against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tyrod only sacked one time, and that was because he was scrambling. He didn't see Josh Allen behind him, and Allen took him down about two yards behind the line of scrimmage. That was it. However, Coach said, look, pass protection can be better. 
I thought the pass protection was good. I thought a couple of times that uh, Tyrod came out of the pocket when he didn't really need to come out of the pocket. It looked like he had pressure when he really didn't have pressure and he should have just stepped up in the pocket and and made a couple of throws where he came out and he ended up getting some positive yardage for that. But I thought overall pass protection was good for the most part in that game. Okay, so I interjected my little thought there. Yeah, it was good. But it always can be better. There's no doubt. Pass protection can always uh, improve. And, you know, sometimes pass protection ends up being on the shoulders of your quarterback. And this is what Coach had to say about his quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, and what he thought he needed to do better in this game against Cleveland. Well, I'd like to see him be a little bit more consistent and get off to a little faster start. You know, we didn't get off to the to the start throwing the football that we need for him to get off to. You know, as you know, that very first pass that we throw could have very easily been an interception. Could have had a bearing on the ball game. And then, uh, like I said, again, he missed the throw after that. We've got to be uh, right on when we're throwing, especially throwing from the pocket. And he's got to be able to get it out and get it out on time. Yeah, this is going to be one of those weeks where the ball – had better get out on time because 95 and 90 are coming off the edge. We know all about 90. And if you're an Aggie, you know all about 95. That's Miles Garrett. And he's a guy that can create mayhem, just whatever he wants, honestly. He might be the most physically freaky athlete in a league filled of filled with them. He's He might be the freakiest. Oh my goodness. All right, sticking with the theme of Tyrod here. Coach Cully was his quarterback coach in Buffalo, offensive coordinator, and had a chance to spend a lot of time with Tyrod. How much has he changed? How much better is he now? Well, he's much better inside the pocket, John. I mean, he's he's seeing things a lot better. I think being the first game, uh, you know, we moved him around a little, little, little bit. Uh, he was just a little bit off right there early. But he is much, much better in the pocket, his pocket presence. I think he's getting the ball out better than he was when I had him before. Uh, Pep has done a good job of making sure he's on time and on rhythm. He's just got to continue to do that. Of course, that is a lot easier said than done. But Tyrod got off to a good start doing that against Jacksonville and has got to continue that against Cleveland. Now, one guy that Tyrod didn't have with him on Sunday is Anthony Miller. Here's what Coach had to say as to an update on Anthony. Well, we'll just kind of see in practice how things are. You know, he's, he, he'll, he'll, whether he'll be active or not, we don't know yet. We'll just have to see in practice. And, but, but he is physically ready to go. Well, that's a great sign because you talk about a guy with twitch and speed and explosiveness. That man right there, Anthony Miller, has got that and then some. Let's stick with the offense and Titus Howard. It's a lot of expectations for Titus. I think everybody that has come in contact with him in our building over the last couple of years, has thought that, has thought that Titus has got every attribute that you're looking for in an offensive lineman, whether he's playing guard or tackle or center or extra tight end, doesn't matter. He's got that ability. So the expectations are high, and Coach said as such when asked about Titus today. Towers needs to be better. Uh, I was happy with the way he played, uh, but he he can be better. Just like I said, our whole left slide, side can be much better. We expect a bunch out of out of out of that side of the line of scrimmage, and uh, I thought we were just okay there this past week, and uh, expect us to be better. Think about it. You look over there, you see Laramie Tunsil, Pro Bowl. You see Titus, all this natural talent, and there are a lot of expectations for that left side. However, it also goes to show that you've got to be together. And you've got to you got to play together because those two haven't played together. Boy, it's been since game two of the 2019 season that they um, were set up next to one another. And 
preseason, Laramie had COVID and they didn't weren't alongside each other for about three weeks. So now they're kind of on the job together and there's some things they definitely have to clean up over there. But when that happens, that left side can be just flat out dominant. Kind of like the Cleveland running backs. Good grief. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. It's not going to be fun taking them on, huh, coach? Well, basically, we the first thing we do defensively is we want to be able to stop the run. You know, and obviously they want to run the ball just like we do. And uh, uh, basically, we'll just kind of see how the game unfolds and, and play the game the way we know it needs to be played and uh, see what happens. All right, it's going to do it for our David Cully Audio Jukebox and our Hot Reads presented to you by Geico. It's time to go one-on-one or, well, two-on-one with General Manager Nick Casario. That is next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and so glad to be with you this evening. Hopefully everyone here in Houston and the surrounding areas are getting their power back and everybody's kind of putting things back together from Tropical Storm Nicholas. Well, we have our own sort of Tropical Storm Nicholas in our building, although he's kind of the antithesis of a hurricane. He does not come in all a bluster and just, you know, blow things down all over the place. He is calm, cool, and collected, and he's our general manager, Nick Casario. And Mark and I had a chance to catch up with him and talk about the result of the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars and the upcoming game and challenge against the Cleveland Browns. Nick, congratulations on the week one win. Your thoughts on the whole experience leading up to it, getting the victory on Sunday against the Jaguars. Yeah, thanks for having me again today. Uh, really excited for, for the players. Uh, they earned the victory, so happy for the players, happy for the staff, the, the amount of time and effort that they put into it. Um, you're really happy for David. Um, I think a few of the players had said it. Um, he, he's a rookie head coach, but he's not a rookie head coach. He's been around football for a long time. But to see him rewarded for the efforts and his consistency from day one and you know the, the way the team responded, um, really from training camp and all the way through the preseason and with the with the first game. So really a lot of credit to him. And it, he, he put us in a position, um, staff did a great job getting the team ready to go, and the players responded. So really excited for the players and happy for the players that they were able to take advantage of the opportunity. When you're around the league as long as you have been, Nick, I'm sure nothing really surprises you. But was there anything Sunday? I mean, it's week one. You had a lot of new pieces coming together. Was there anything that really surprised you about the team's performance on Sunday? You saw it in bits and pieces. Again, we never were able to see it over a long duration in the preseasons because nobody had played an entire game. Yeah. So how the game actually goes, it starts to unfold a little bit. And the players, some players had to play probably more snaps than they had played all of the training camp. So, But, again, just to get in a real-life situation, a game situation, a lot of situations we couldn't necessarily simulate. Um, there's some things that came up in the game. I mean, I think we had 21 third downs, in which I would say that it is an inordinate amount of third yeah. downs offensively. <laughs> but when you look at those, they were very manageable situations. Yep. So I'd say the volume of that. But the things that we talk about in terms of trying to be a least penalized team, don't turn the ball over, be good in the running game, cover kicks, we were able to do some of those things. So there were certain goals that David had established for the team. If we did these three things in each of these areas, then we'd have a chance on Sunday. And for the most part, we were able to do that. And as a result, we were able to, to come out on top. Yeah, and speaking of three things, you'd love to average three takeaways a game. That would be really nice. And you did in the preseason. You did in week one. You got three takeaways. And that speaks to what you've been setting up here from the get-go, the foundation, Lovey Smith, preaching that takeaway philosophy. 
Yeah, the players have bought into it from the beginning, and you really see the fruits of labor come to fruition. Now, are we going to have three turnovers every week? I mean, you know, or three takeaways, as Lovey looks at it. It's really more about taking the ball away than, than turnovers. But, again, it just gives you more opportunities offensively to have another possession. So if we can take the ball away from the other team and not give the ball to them, we'll at least give ourselves a chance. There's nothing wrong with ending a possession with a kick offensively. So either a punt or a field goal or a PAT. So if you look at it through that prism and we're able to do those things, we'll at least give ourselves a chance. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win, but at least we'll give ourselves a chance. During the broadcast, Mark was really, really mad at you because we do this all this off-season radio content. We talk about all these different things, and we'll get in segments like who's going to be the leading rusher, who's going to be the leading receiver, who's going to do this. We get to the leading receiver, and it's like somebody we didn't even know was on the face of the planet still, and Danny Amendola. You bring him in a few week, a few days before. I'm sure, like we said, there was no surprises. But in all seriousness, having Danny come into this offense where some of the verbiage, I would imagine, is similar, and that probably helped him a little bit. But what did he bring to the offense? Five catches on, I think, 17, 18 plays, gets the touchdown. I mean, he blew up all of our offseason radio, but we're okay with that because it was pretty important what he did. See, it goes to show you what we guys talk about in the offseason. <laughs> we got to start matter. bringing up players. Well, hey, there's this guy. <laughs> Nick's going to bring this guy in. So it gives us a heads up for next year. No, really, it's a credit to Danny and, and, and uh, Robert, uh, Timmy, and the offensive staff. And Danny's been around football for a long time. He's very smart. He's a very smart, instinctive player, and there was some familiarity with what we're doing systematically. So he was the role was. I mean, I think he played 15, 17, 16, 17 plays, whatever yeah. it was, but he was able to contribute in a small area. And I think what you saw during the course of the game, different players were able to contribute in their own uh, unique way and have a specific role. So all four running backs played. All four receivers played. Andre had his role in the kicking game. The offensive line was the offensive line. The defensive line we played. We took nine defensive linemen to the game. They all played until Vince got hurt, but everybody yep. played. So everybody that's at the game, we tell them, look, be ready to play. You're going to have a role, and it's about the performance. We're not just going to roll a guy out there if you don't, we don't think he's capable of doing right. it. So um, in, in Danny's particular case, he was ready to go. He prepared himself accordingly, and I would say the, player, the people that have been around Danny were probably aren't surprised at what took place on Sunday. Can you take the listeners through the flexibility you have with the practice squad during these last couple of years, really? Because you have Joey Sly on the practice squad, and you know that Kaimi is going to go on IR, and then you bring up Anthony O'Claire. Uh, Brevin's down. Gives you some flexibility there to have extra bodies coming in. It does, and that's why the, we talked about this a little bit towards the end. The practice squad is essentially an extension of your roster, so those players that are on the practice squad at any given point in time could go into the game or, or be up for a game, so they have to prepare and be ready to play, and we have to feel confident that they would be able to go in there and actually perform. You just don't want to bring a guy from the practice squad to the game just because. So as we're filling out the team and how we're going to construct it, there's a lot that goes into it. We've had a lot of discussions about it, and it's how do you get people where, how do you allocate your, and deploy your resources. So we just did what we feel was best, and I'd say the league, these league rules, I would say certainly we certainly would be a favor of moving forward because it's more opportunity for the players, and it gives teams more opportunities to, to use players as they see fit because you really never know on a week-to-week basis what's going to happen and what's going to take place. Nick, we're outside the 24-hour window finally, so <laughs> it's Cleveland – First thoughts, first glance at Cleveland. Wildly talented team. Kevin Stefanski appears to be a very good football coach. What do you think about the Browns overall? Big challenge. Really great football team. They 
you know, last season was no, no, no fluke or it wasn't a joke, but Coach Stefanski and A.B., Andrew Barry have done a great job putting a program in place. Paul DePetes is a part of that as well, but they have a good infrastructure in place, and they've brought a lot of good players and a lot of good people. Um, offensively, they have two, arguably, two of the best backs in the league. I mean, Chubb is one of the best backs, and Hunt is probably a little bit underrated, but they can put two running backs out there at any given point in time, three good tight ends, three or four really good receivers, including, you know, the fifth receiver is a rookie who runs 4-1 yep. or whatever Schwartz runs. Yep. Really good offensive line that they've invested in. And Baker's a really, really good player, underrated, very accurate with the ball, mobile. And then they essentially have rebuilt their defense. They have nine new nine new stars, but 14 new players on the defensive side of the ball. And it really starts with the defensive front. I mean, Garrett's as good a player as there is in the league. JD's a really good player. I mean, you guys saw him for a number of years. Signed McKinley, drafted JOK in the second round, drafted Newsom in the first round, signed John Johnson, who's another underrated player. So they have a really good football team, and then a lot of those guys have a role in the kicking game. The Felton, uh, the uh, rookie returner from UCLA, uh, Felton, is yep. going to return kicks. So they have a good football team. It's a big challenge, certainly in front of us, and it's a good opportunity for us to go on the road and, and kind of you know see where we are. You've been on the road twice in the preseason. Now it's the regular season, and it's interesting because prior to COVID, sometimes we'd take sponsors or whatever on the road, and they were blown away. If somebody's never been on the road with an NFL team, oh, my gosh, the way this operation is handled. What can you share with us about how you put all that together and how you fine-tune that to be as as comfortable as possible for the players, get maximum performance when kickoff occurs, and get them back quickly so you can get into the next week? And it's a great question, Mark. There's a lot of foresight, a lot of planning that goes into it, really going back to the spring. So we spend time having an advanced team or advanced individual that will go out and identify the hotel. So once we have the hotel in place, then you look at some of the logistics getting from the hotel to the stadium. And in terms of the meeting space at the hotel, can we reduplicate or simulate what we do here in NRG, because really you're trying to put the players in a position where everything is normalized. So that's what we try to do. But there's an immense amount of planning. There's a lot of people that are involved in that. They do a great job as part of that process. So they're an integral part of the operation. So really we're just trying to make it as easy on the players as possible. So, But there's definitely a lot of planning. It's not get on a plane, get on a bus, drive to the hotel, and let's go play. <laughs> there's a lot of planning, a lot of foresight that goes into it. Nick, you mentioned JOK, who is Jeremiah Usukoromoa. And, and when you said that, it, it triggered something that I've actually heard a guy you know well, Tom Brady, talk about this offseason. And that's the number change. He wears number 28. When he's in college, you can figure out if he's a linebacker or a safety. Anthony Walker wears number four for them. Tom's talked about how tough that is to identify various people and what that guy's position actually is. You've never seen single digits on defensive players in the NFL. Is that is that really a thing? How tough is that to look over there and go, you know what, everybody over there is wearing a skill number. How tough does that make it? No, it's absolutely relevant because it's the same thing on the other side of the ball. But when you break the huddle, you're just trying to figure out the deployment of who's where and what position are they playing. Some of it's spot related, but not to look too far ahead to Carolina, but Carter and uh, and Shaq, yeah. they literally changed their numbers yeah. right before they played the Jets. So during the preseason, they're 56 and 54. Right. So it mentally, as you're preparing, you're trying to go through the mic identification and the protection. So now you just have to know – Okay, Walker is number eight or whatever yeah. number Walker four, is yeah. wearing. Yeah, JOK is 28. So those guys are linebackers. So when they put whatever group they're going to put on the field, how are they being categorized and how are they being treated? So 
the, the league is really a personnel-driven league. It's understanding personnel. It's understanding players. So specific to the quarterback, understanding the personnel that they have on the field, like you better know who's wearing what and who's whom, what position you're playing, because it affects how you distribute the blockers and how you set your right. protections, how you do a number of different things. So it's an adjustment, but everybody's going through the same thing, and you just have to plan and prepare. And, and just as long as you look at it the same way, so the offensive line sees it the same way as the quarterback and the running backs view it the same way, then you can go out there and execute and as if they were wearing whatever the 50s or whatever the numbers are. The poor kickers can't even find a single digit to wear no. anymore. Joey's wearing number 16. He's no. Joe Montana. So is, t- so is Tom crying for no reason, or has he got a valid concern? No, you, guys, an- you guys can talk that. to Tom at some don't point. I don't, I'm not yeah. ever going to speak but is for it val- But is it valid, though? I mean, it, I mean, it is. It's different. I mean, to do it right before the game, you know, to do it before the first game, to go from 54 to 7 and go, wait a second, 7. I mean, you have to have a little bit of knowledge, I guess, of him because in college you did wear seven. But, like, you're talking about Shaq Thompson. To do it, like, right before the game, ooh, boy. As long as you get it communicated to everybody, as long as they understand who's playing what, who's wearing what. Yeah. Because there's sometimes there's number changes or a guy gets brought up from the practice squad that's not even on the flip card. So he yeah. gets brought up on Saturday and he gets added. I mean, Jacksonville had it with Rusnak. They brought up Devin Smith. Those players play for them in right. the preseason, but they're not even on the flip card. So you just have to have some awareness and general understanding of who's at the game. Yeah. And that's why we – it's part of our advanced scouting process. We do write-ups on all 53 players and including the practice squad players because at any point, like we talked about earlier, yeah. Mark, those players are eligible to play. Will you go on the road and watch college games in person this fall? Sporadically, based on where the game is relative to our location. Um, I think there's value in, in, in both ways. Seeing teams play live, I've actually found it more useful just to, when the game comes in. You're still tracking and watching. If you want to see something specific live, then you go ahead and go to the game. Um, like a lot of it is going to be based on the geography and the location. So everybody has a different philosophy. You can look at it both ways. I'd say there might be some times where I do that. There might be some times in the area. You know, we'll go watch a game if you want to see another team or, or you know, somewhere from around the country that otherwise you wouldn't be able to see. So I would say selectively probably we'll do that, Mark. Um, will it be on a regular basis? Not necessarily, but we have people. Our, our college staff is, like we talked about last week, they're doing that right now. Jane Lips going through that. So we have people that are watching these players, and we have a lot of information that's coming in front of my desk. And so I'm able to review it. So when I am watching at my desk, watching a film, have an understanding of who's doing what and what their situation is. Are they Richard Jr.? Are they a senior? Or what's their status? I mean, you can't even go about junior senior anymore, can you? I mean, it's like trying to figure out, is that guy a junior? Well, no, he's in the COVID rule, so he actually is repeating that junior. I mean, trying to figure that out is an absolute... Well, throwing the transfer portal as well. I, uh, so a guy is going from one team to the too. next team without having to sit out a year. So, it, um, I mean, it's it's wild. All I know is if you got three years, good. I'll look at you. <laughs> That's it. His third year will go with you. Saturday or Sunday against Jacksonville, I kept thinking about this as the game was going on, Nick. The physicality of your guys on both fronts. Were you pleased with what you saw on both sides, the physicality you were playing with, or do you want to see that amped up even more? Yeah, Dave has talked about this all through the offseason, how we're, we're going to emphasize and how we're going to be billed as inside out. So being good in the offensive and defensive line, that's something that's how, what we believe in. That's how we're going to try to play. So, you know, a lot of the things playing with the right pad level, there were times where pad level was a little bit high on both yeah. sides of the ball. It, it, really is the game extends so you go from playing 25 plays to playing 65 70 plays so can you maintain that consistency of your body position your posture and your fundamentals so 
being able to play strong at the line of scrimmage, being able to run the football, being able to stop the run, being able to cover kicks, those are all signs of physicality of your team and how you measure it. So it's something David has talked about from day one. He's talked to the players about it. He and I have talked about it. So that's something that's important to us, and we're going to continue. to. And, look, what we're going to try to do each week, whatever we have to do to win, to give us a chance to win the game, that's what we're going to do. One more relative to that, Nick. Week one to week two, is that the biggest jump in improvement or change during the course of a season, or is that hard to really quantify? Does it vary? No, it's a good question, Mark. Really, it's probably the early early part of the season from week one to week two, to week two to week three, and by week four, you should start to settle in a little bit and have an idea. So there should be continual improvement and gradual improvement, and really, what's going to happen is you're going to have you're going to play more games, so more people are going to see you play, so. You're gonna have, and people are gonna have more of an understanding of what you're trying to do. So your ability to stay ahead of that will be important. So really, after four games, that's a pretty good body of work. And then you, you know, once you get into the middle of the season, you go back to the last four games, and there might be some, some maybe you want to watch uh, an opponent against a specific team early in the year that has a scheme that's similar to ours. So the first call it three to four weeks is really when you kind of establish that. And then and moving forward, it's just about week to week and making an adjustment to who your opponent is. Nick, you mentioned Carolina earlier. <clears throat> Play them on a Thursday. When do they, being the Thursday opponent, when do they become relevant in the preparation schedule? I know in the summer you guys prepare for them, et cetera, but when do you really start kind of thinking about them? Because if you start thinking about them on Monday, that's almost too late. When do you start kind of thinking about Carolina, the Thursday night opponent coming up? The advanced scout is – just about done with that report so we've saw we saw them play Sunday we'll see them play again this next Sunday whoever they play I don't even know who that is um, and then towards the end of this week probably once we get to Friday evening into Saturday there'll be some coaches that allocate some time but the focus is still going to be on Cleveland as right. soon as the Cleveland game is over then we're going to transition into a quick turnaround so you don't want to think too, too far ahead, but there is an right. element of planning that you have to have in place so that you turn the page and it's going to come. It's going to be here quick. That it will, Nick. It definitely will get here quick. And when it does, we will see our next guest, Nathan Zagura, sideline reporter for the Cleveland Browns, writes for Browns.com, does all kinds of stuff for them. It's our Behind Enemy Sidelines interview of the week next with DP City right here on Texas All Access. 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 It is time to go behind enemy sidelines with D.P. Sidhu. This week, Nathan Zagura, sideline reporter for the Cleveland Browns, also writer and does radio work for Browns.com. Let's do it. D.P., take it away. Nathan, always a pleasure to talk to you. seems like we've been chatting a lot in the last few years, but week one in the books, the Browns coming off a tough loss to the Chiefs, but I would imagine a lot to be positive about, right? Yeah, absolutely, and also great to be with you, and congrats to you on your week one win there with the Houston Texans. Uh yeah, look, we played a, a great game and for three quarters went into Arrowhead Stadium against the class of our conference, the two-time defending AFC champions, and, and we're dominating the game. And the Browns would be the first to tell you they let it get away. You had a fumble, you had a muff on, on a punt snap, um, and then another interception late. So, you know, three turnovers at Arrowhead against the Chiefs team with Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. When they make no turnovers, not a recipe for success ultimately, but the fact that we had two turnovers on the road and still had the ball back with two minutes and a chance to win. That's good. 22 to 10 in the first half, you know, the ground game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, they had three touchdowns combined on the ground. We rushed for four on the day, six yards a carry Baker was 21 to 28 for over 300 yards passing. So yes, very efficient on offense and our defense, you know, I thought all in all did a very good job against an elite offense, obviously of the Kansas city chiefs. Now you've got Kevin Stefanski coming off of his 2020 AP coach of the year award. 
here he is in year two. I know the expectations are really high for him heading into year two with the Browns and, and everything he was able to accomplish in his first year. But looking at him now, I know it's only been one week, but what did you see different from him? Have you seen a difference in play calling, a difference in just how he handles the team? Or is it really the same Stefanski that you saw last year? The guy is the same every day. And I think that's why the players like him. And he's the same year one to year two. He just is who he is. And we talk, we joke on, on Cleveland Browns daily all the time that, you know, he's got the four piece. He's prepared. He's got a plan. He's got a process to implement the plan and he's got poise. And as one of my favorite all-time Browns, now Houston Texan money, Mitch would say, the man has no fluster. So he is who he is. You know, we were aggressive, went for it on fourth down uh, on our first drive and our second drive down in the red zone. So he's always been aggressive. He will take opportunities when they're presented. He's very heady uh, the way he handled even the end of the first half. So very typical Kevin Stefanski performance in week one. It's just, you know, Nick Chubb doesn't fumble. And he did. I've been with the Browns. You know, this is my ninth season with the Browns. I've never seen the punter just drop the snap back to him. It happened. So it was one of those kind of flute games, but from Stefanski's standpoint, you know, this coaching staff, Kevin Stefanski on the offensive side, you got Alex Van Pelt, Chad O'Shea, Bill Callahan, Stump Mitchell, Drew Petson. It's a great staff. And to see that collaboration was fun. Our offense, it was humming. Uh, we're a talented team, but we've got to take care of our business and execute. And if we do that, I think this is going to be a very fun season. Well, as I was watching Monday Night Football, I saw another commercial from Baker Mayfield. And it was a new one because he's still putting out commercials. So oh, yes. here, here he is um, in Sunday's performance, looked really good. 21 for 28, 321 yards or one interception late in the game. Yeah. You know, what have you seen from him growth wise? It seems like he was really getting that offense moving. He did lead three touchdown drives in the first three drives of the game. But, you know, where have you seen him grow? Where does he still need to improve? Yeah, the Browns actually had five drives in the game with more than 75 net yards on offense, incredibly efficient. And for Baker, you know, this is the first time in his career he's had the same offensive system two years in a row, first time in his career. And so for Baker Mayfield to kind of have that continuity, same staff, same principal players, really. I mean, we're running it back, although the rookie Anthony Schwartz had a very impressive debut last week, but he's just in command. He's comfortable and it's allowed him to be advanced. And, you know, for him, the light bulb really went on as he got comfortable in the system last year. You know, over the second half of the year, he had 20 touchdowns, two interceptions, and he played at very efficient football, 75% completions, as you mentioned in week one. It's just that now he's just allowing the game to dictate where the football goes. The play call will kind of tell him where it goes, but then the defensive call is going to tell him where the ball goes. And so he's not forcing it anywhere. He's just reading and reacting, and, and he's very accurate with the football. He's got a very strong arm. Uh, he looks great. I think he's poised for a tremendous season. And, you know, the stats would show was no touchdowns and the one interception, the interception coming obviously on the Browns last offensive play when he's trying to throw it away and, and got hit as he did so. And it, it kind of fluttered to the sideline and the Chiefs got it. But, you know, he easily could have had touchdowns. We ended up just getting down to the goal line and, and running it in on a couple where bombs got tackled close. So Baker's playing very well. And I think it bodes very well for the Browns season. Yeah, that rushing attack is strong. I mean, Texans fans certainly remember last year what Nick Chubb was able to do with them. So, you know, he got a three-year extension. Uh, this year in camp, how, how did the Browns balance that rushing attack between Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt now that, that Chubb's got that contract extension? Yeah, it's the same philosophy as last year. You know, they will rotate at times, but Nick Chubb is the main man. Make no mistake about it. Now, Chubb and Hunt last year, if you include the playoffs, are only the fourth running back tandem in NFL history to both have more than 1,200 total yards and 12 touchdowns 
in the same season in the same backfield. So it's a dynamic duo. It's the best in the NFL. And I don't think when I'm saying that, I'm saying that as a Browns person, I think everybody would agree that's the best one-two punch in the National Football League. Chubb is still the main man, but they will work Kareem Hunt in on third downs. They'll work Kareem Hunt in on some drives. You know, Kareem gets the ball. As I said, both were very strong, but it was Chubb leading the carries in that game, as it will be the case all season long. He's the main guy. He rushed for two touchdowns in this one. Kareem rushed for a touchdown of his own. It's a good, it's a good tandem and it's, it's a wonderful luxury to have. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned Kim Stefanski earlier, he's already thinking of how do I change things because we have this extra game, you know, that's 70 extra offensive snaps. That's how many extra carries for Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. How do we kind of back that out and spread that out over the course of a season, as opposed to just treating it like we're doing everything the same for 16 games. So there's a lot of rotation there and it's a nice luxury because I'll tell you defenses, they don't like it when Chubb's been beating them up and they're like, Oh good. He's finally tired. And then here comes Kareem. Kareem Hunt, who, you know, has led the league in rushing in his own right. And he comes in fresh and he runs with a lot of anger and passion. And so it's a great one, two punch to have. All right. That Browns defense is scary with Miles Garrett. And now Javian Clowney on the opposite side. I know he was sick and he missed a lot of camp, but what do you expect out of that Browns front with those two? You know, they generated pressure, according to Pro Football Focus, on 44% of the dropbacks for the Kansas City Chiefs in week one, which is an astronomical number. Pat Mahomes was just unbelievable under pressure in that game. He, he had a quarterback rating of 120 when he was pressured, which is not typical for him or any quarterback. So they can generate pressure. It's miles. It's clowny on the outside uh, inside Malik Jackson, who has been a, a long a pro bowler, been a super bowl champion. Uh, and then we found Malik McDowell, who's a very interesting story. So he was a second round pick in 2017 of the Seahawks never played a game. There was out of the league. He ended up in jail for a year knew he wanted to come back and try to play football. The Browns gave him an opportunity. He started. He was our highest graded defensive player against pro football focus. You know, in 2017, if you talk to the draft pundits, he was a top five talent, but obviously there were issues there. Well, he seems to have those figured out. That front is very, very good. And then in, in some of the nickel situations, we'll bring in Tack McKinley, who was a former first rounder, a good pass rusher for the Atlanta Falcons. And those three, along with one of the Malik's, just get after it. And, and I'm excited to see what this rush can do, especially at home in front of our fans where it's going to be really loud on the, at the right times this game, as opposed to Arrowhead, which was really loud, but not really when the Browns wanted it. All right. Well, the Texans have so many former Browns on yes. this roster. You mentioned a few earlier. Uh, Farrell Brown was obviously with the, the Texans last year, scored a touchdown up there in Cleveland. Um, and now Tyrod Taylor. So tell me a little bit about some of these, these familiar faces, especially Taylor, you know, what you remember from covering him. I know he was just with the Browns a short time, but um, it seems like he's left a lasting impact wherever he's gone. Yeah, total professional. Tarot Taylor is a total professional, a leader, unselfish. You know, he was here the year that we drafted Baker number one overall. And, you know, he started and then Baker took over and the rest, as they say, is history, but was totally a class act the entire time he was here. Nice guy, very good dresser. I remember that very sharp dressed man, uh, but a good guy. Pharaoh's a great story. You know, he was with us for a while and, and actually made the initial roster last year and then uh, was released, went down the Texans. I love he got to score that touch since we won the game. I can be very happy for him that he scored the touchdown, but you've got two of my all-time favorite Browns, all-time favorite top human beings, interviews, people, period. Uh, Christian Kirksey, who had a nice interception week one. I was pumped for him and Money Mitch. Those guys are, if I'm putting them out, rush more of the people that I've gotten to interact wow. with time at the Cleveland Browns. They're both on it without question. I mean, just great, great people. And I don't know if you had the chance to, to interview Money Mitch, but what an absolute treasure of a human being. Well, Texans are certainly hoping they can do a lot on defense this year for them. So pumped to have them, pumped to have you. 
Um, once again, Nathan, looking forward to the game on Sunday. Thanks so much for the time. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm looking forward to seeing you and, and all my, my old friends there on the Houston Texans when you guys uh, travel up to Cleveland on Sunday. Looking forward to it. We're also looking forward to the second hour. It's going to kick off with myself and the voice of the Texans, Mark Vanry, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm John. I said that earlier, so I won't tell you. Actually, I'll tell you each and every segment because you never know when people are popping in and out. Joining me right now is the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, as you look back on Sunday against the Jags, there were so many good things. Obviously, we've had time to put stuff on social media, but mic'd up with Mark Ingram was absolutely awesome. Oof. Before we look ahead to the Browns, mm-hmm. your final look back on the Jags, what do you think? Johnny, I'm deep into week two here. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I obey this 24-hour rule. In fact, yeah. I did Good on HoustonTexans.com because we have this thing called the Daily Brew. We each take turns writing it. It's a daily thing. Yep. Uh, and when I write it, I would just say, screw it. I'm just going to write my own column here. It's basically Vandermeer's view inserted into the Daily Brew right. with that sponsor, Red Diamond. But I said, look, I know we're week two. But as Columbo said on TV in the <laughs> 70s, one more thing. And then <laughs> did I have. Did you just drop a Columbo yes. reference? And then I said, editor's note. Because I have the editor chime in every once in a while and stuff I write. Vandermeer, 70s references are unacceptable. And I didn't even know if – is Columbo a private eye, a homicide detective? He's a homicide detective. I had to look it up. But he wore the trench coat and he said, one more thing. And that was – he was famous for that. Before he was walking out, you thought you were done being questioned. And he'd say, one more thing. And he would ask you the killer question that would always trap the person he's accusing. Anyway, or investigating. So one more thing, Johnny. Okay. I, like I wrote this. about David Culley winning his debut as a head coach in Houston and winning his debut as a starting quarterback in 1975. 1975. Right here At Houston. Rice. At Vanderbilt. He was the starting quarterback that day. Tommy Kramer on the other side. And I went back. You know, I went into a wormhole. This is what I do. Oh, yeah. Tommy Kramer, 14 seasons in the NFL, took over for Fran Tarkenton. <laughs> you did go down a oh, wormhole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tommy Kramer from San Antonio, and he had some good years in the National Football League, no doubt. Anyway, uh, look, I was really thrilled with what I saw on Sunday, but I know what's coming here. You know, I'm not (laughs) – this isn't my first rodeo. Uh You go up to Cleveland, and I wish it was Cleveland. I told DB this last night from four or five years ago. It's not. It's Kevin Stefanski – who's very Kubiakian. Yes, he is. And he knows what he's doing Kubiakian. here. Kubiakian. He is. Great word. It's, uh, it, Great it word. can be used as an adverb or an adjective. He's very Kubiakian. Uh, you could say you're running in a very Kubiakian fashion, right? Yes. Uh, but he coaches in a Kubiakian way. And get ready. They're going to try to pound the rock, do bootlegs, zone running scheme, offensive line, lots of movement. Got to find a way to slow them down. And really, for the Texans, I'll tell you one thing that carried over from the Tampa Bay game. They had that 18-play drive against Tampa Bay in which they didn't score because they had to go for it on fourth and five with no kicker. How long was one of those long drives in the first half? It was about 14 plays or something like that. 14 for 84 yards. I remember that. Okay. Because the math is perfect of six yards per play. This If they do well this year, and we can define well a variety of ways, if they do well this year – they're going to have plenty of drives like that. This is who they have to be. Yep. They have to have matriculate the ball down the field drives. Nick talked about it with us with all those third downs they have. Those are okay, though, if you keep converting them, those third and shorts, right? Yep. Lots of plays, lots of clock grinded, 
and find a way to manage the game that way. Yeah, no doubt. And for the Browns, the Browns are going to have seen the Chiefs, and we know what the Chiefs' offense and all the different weapons and such. Now, the Texans did push the ball down the field, which if there was a surprise last Sunday, Mark, I think it was that. I wasn't expecting a ton yeah. of downfield throws, but Tyrod made key ones. I mean, mm-hmm. there were uh, – I think there were – Four plays of 29 yards or more. That's always one of my fun things to look at. I forgot about that. They're always in the in the uh, miscellaneous in the game book. There's always a spot of big plays. And yeah. Tyrod hit Cooks for 52. Cooks for 40. Um, he had a 29 yard run. Mm-hmm. Then he had 29 yards to Pharaoh, and then he hit Pharaoh for another 25 when he was carrying dudes down the field. I wasn't even expecting that this year. Now the Chiefs major in that. I mean, that's what the Chiefs do. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's a meme out there that uh, Patrick Mahomes is actually asked about after the game, and the meme is bleep it, Tyreek's down there somewhere. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's I kind of that. that's kind of what Kansas City does, and all of a sudden you're gonna see this offense, and I'm sure Cleveland's going okay. Um, still not totally sure. Yeah, of all that they're gonna see from this particular offense. I mean, the Browns play the Chiefs in the Browns' last game last year. They start off with them week one. Now they're seeing us. Now we played them last year, but our offense this year to last year, how different is it? Very. Two players, two players will start, presumably, all things staying where they are, two players will start in the same spot they started in in the game against the Browns. Oh, because Howard moves over to left guard. Yep. Because Cook started. Cook started and and Laramie. That's it. All right. Uh, and look, you mentioned this uh, meme or whatever, this gif about uh, Mahomes <laughs> yeah. and Tyreek. Yeah. And I felt like at least one of the Cooks plays, and maybe both were bleep it, Cooks is down there somewhere yeah. almost, right? I think the first one was that. Yeah. The first and, one felt that way. But that's good. I mean, you, we basically know, you know, if you're Tyreek, if you're Tyrod, Tyreek, we were just talking about him. If you're Tyrod, you know that you have Cooks in the pattern and he can help you out there. That first one. I mean, there was coverage there, and Cooks went up and got it. Yep. That bodes well for you, though, moving forward. But I think there's more to it here. They, there are more layers, more layers on the onion they need to unpeel, right? Yeah. Because Nico Collins has to figure into this offense a little bit more. He had he one will. catch the other day, and he will. As He's a rookie. He's going to get going here. They're going to work on it week to week. they got to get better. That's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Conley liked seeing what he did. I think they'll go to the tight ends more. Aikens will be heard from. Yes. I think Aikens still ends up with more catches than Farrow Brown on the season somehow, but I liked seeing what Farrow Brown did. I mean, to see him drag people with him oh. again was really welcoming. That was a welcome to the season thing for me. I thought, that's great. And now he's going back to Cleveland. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Johnny. The Tyrod revenge tour continues, okay? <laughs> I, I talked about this in the offseason. Yeah. Jacksonville was the team that knocked the Bills out of the playoffs in 2017. Yeah. Cleveland, he was there, and we know what happened there. All right? Carolina, I don't have anything for them just yet, but I'll yeah. think of something. Yeah. And, oh, no, th- I think he lost to them or he played them when he was with the Bills, but we'll get into that later. Okay. But then you have the Bills themselves yeah. when he goes up there mm-hmm. and has a chance to beat them. It's the Tyrod Taylor revenge tour. Can't wait to see part two. Well, if the point about the offense being different is valid for the Texans, it's also valid for the Browns. When you look at Miles Garrett's back, Denzel Ward's back. Everybody else, D. 
different. Everybody. Interesting. Different. First play of the game, Chiefs try and run inside zone, and they see his number 58. And even though I haven't studied the Browns, and it's the first time I'm watching them, I have a pretty good idea of who everybody is because I've seen some of the preseason games. And I knew that Anthony Walker, linebacker from the Colts, Mm -hmm. leading tackler for them on Sunday, had nine tackles. I knew something. He wore number four. I knew Greg Newsom because I studied him in the draft. And I'm looking, I'm going, who's 58? Because he just took guard and just shucked him and made a stop for no gain. And I'm like, and I was like, oh, it's Christian Barmore. I'm like, no, 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 they didn't draft Barmore because they drafted Newsom and then they drafted as Nick called him JOK, Jeremiah Usakoromora. And I'm like, who's 58? I'm racking my brain. I can't come up with it. And then, oh, it's Malik McDowell. He was an All American player at Michigan State, had all kinds of off the field issues. Drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, I thought he was a top 10 talent. I had him in the 2017 draft. I had him in the top 10 because he was that good. He was that good. But he just had all kinds of issues. Couldn't get on the field. Finally, gets to Cleveland. The cloudy situation kind of opens up for him. He starts and just wrecks shop. I'm like, really? I mean, those are the kind of players you look Uh. at. Look, the big signing of John Johnson at safety, massive. Troy Hill, both guys coming over from the Rams. Uh, they were massive for the secondary. Drafting Greg Newsom, he's a heck of a player. He starts for them. They draft JOK. He gets a lot of time on the field. He started. I don't think he'll start. I think we'll see Mac Wilson. They could have as many as nine new starters on the field when we face them. And those guys are great. Oh, and that bury the lead. Some guy named Clowney plays on the opposite side of Miles Garrett. Yeah. In the game against the Chiefs, he did Clowney things. First couple plays of the game, like, oh, boy, Clowney looks good. Then later he jumped offside on a key moment. So, you know, he's still clowny yep. in every way, shape, or form. Um, and that's that's disrupted because it's like, man, you're going to run the edge. If you're going to run on the edge, you got you got to hope that Clowney does some of the things he did here. That is, hey, I'm going to try and swim inside. He gets caught. You get the edge a little bit quicker. But he and Miles Garrett on the edge, Malik McDowell inside. They've got depth. But it's a new defense. But you can see the seedlings of it kind of growing and being very athletic. You're kind of depressing me right now. Yeah, though, and it's gonna it's gonna be a tough a defense. I'm a little down right now. I was in a good mood when I came in here, and now well, I'm listen, getting into a bad mood. Yeah, it, but here's the thing: this it, we have no idea what kind of game this is going to be. Look, we know Chubb and Hunt want to pound the rock. They want to pound mm-hmm. the rock with Chubb and Hunt. That's that's what they would like to do. And then off of that come the play action stuff. And then they've got this rookie, Anthony Schwartz. Nick referred to him. We'll, we'll talk about that. He's, he's like, hey, Schwartz runs a 4-1. He can fly. He is Olympic speed. He was 10-1 in 100 in high school. And he's like Will Fuller. And kind of like Will and that he doesn't catch the ball that well. But, man, you better account for that joker or he's going to hurt you. But we know this comes down to can you stop Chubb and Hunt. But defensively, it's still sort of a mystery okay, we know they've got all this talent. How does it kind of come together? And hopefully at that point before it really fully meshes in Cleveland, maybe we're catching them at the right time. What What about the mistake they made with the punt? That's the punter making a mistake. Yeah, Seth made cool. a good point about if a, if one guy fumbles twice, this team isn't mentally prepared to play. <laughs> yeah, People tend to overreact and think the whole team is like that. But if that tends to be a weekly thing, not – necessarily just coughing up the ball but mistakes right maybe some bad timed right. penalties not that there's a good time for penalties but you get my drift here and look one game is such a small sample size right. and you were in arrowhead stadium yep. they got chiefed 
And we've seen a lot of teams get chiefed, yeah. right? You yeah. start making mistakes. You think you have the game, not one, but, ooh, we got this. We're, we're in command. We're up. And all of a sudden, we lost. Yeah. How many times has that happened recently for the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah. Playoffs, regular season games. <sighs> teams tend to lose their composure because they see victory. They can see the end of the tunnel. But you're not there yet, yep. and you're going to get chiefed. And that's what happened to them. But you just need to know if that's going to be a thing, a pattern, or not. So they go home now. They're looking at the Texans, and I'm wondering what they're really thinking here. Because, yeah, the Texans beat the Jags, but it's the Texans. You know, my offseason prognostication of them, not very high. You know, maybe they look past it. I don't know. I, I doubt it because they're playing a home opener. Everyone's going to be jacked up. It's Cleveland, yeah. Johnny. They show up no matter what. Well, I'll tell you this. The one thing I think I think I, I may have told the story on the radio. I don't know. So last year when we go there, I mean, the, the weather is just it's just brutal. Right. And before the game, it's cloudy. Well, I like it's been the last couple of days here. And it's cloudy, and we had heard there was a chance, but we weren't totally sure. So we get there, and I'm like, wow. So I go down on my perch, and this was the weekend before I was going to have my back surgery, so I was in bad shape. But I go find a spot, and I literally am camping out at that spot for most of the day. So I get there, and it's, I don't know, probably 45 minutes before, and I'm kind of down there watching pregame. (laughs) And there's a security guard, and he's a young guy. And he's just heckling the Texans. I mean, just oh wow, just going off and heckling them. And I was, I'm laughing. I put it on Twitter, and people were responding to it. And uh, he was heckling JJ. And I mean, he was really good. I'm like security guard. I'm like, man, I thought security was supposed to stay neutral in this thing, but I thought it was funny. And then I thought later, and I was like, you know what? There weren't that many fans in the stands. He probably felt like he had to pick up the slack. Yeah. And if there's one thing about Cleveland fans, we know. They are ardent football, you know, men and women. I mean, they they love that team. And even Mm -hmm. the small amount of fans that got into the building last year in week 17 when they beat the Steelers, and you can just see just the emotion that they had being in an environment like that. Our environment the other day I thought was very, very good. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect week one. I know going to Cleveland, they're open there. It's going to be jack. And you can also use that to your favor, though. Sure. To your point about the punter, Gillian, dropping the ball. If you start thinking, hey, if you, still, if you make them think, hey, you're still the Browns, when they know down deep they're not the Browns, but if you get them thinking, man, really weird things are happening to us. Yeah. You know, we had the first down, but then we fumbled the ball backwards, and now it's fourth and one instead of being, you know, first down. You know, some freaky thing. If you get some freaky thing to happen and all of a sudden they start thinking about like, wait, wait a second. And that's maybe that's all you need. Maybe you get the fans kind of uneasy and they're not into it like they should be. You know, who knows? I do know that environment's very, very cool up there. I it's like very cool up there. I like the demeanor here. Look, it's Wednesday. We've got a long way to go. But I loved Coach Cully this morning with the media and just talking about we'll see how the game's going and he just has this calmness about him, and it's going to be anything but calm on Sunday, but maybe they can draw from that, be composed, be intense, play their fundamentally sound football, uh, try to keep the penalties low. Johnny, I wonder this. With the, with the Cleveland talent, if the Texans can just not make the big mistakes, 
if the Texans can not turn it over, not commit PIs on defense, make them earn everything, how close is this game? It's probably still not enough. You have to make some plays. You have to rip their throat out. You have to make some deep passes to Cooks or whoever. You have to do yeah. some things like that, maybe get the ball out a couple of times. I'm just wondering how close this game can be if you just play a clean game and pound it. I've thought about that same thing. I was yeah. driving up here this morning thinking about that. Like, what if you just didn't make mistakes? Yeah. And I'm not saying that you kind of play it like a Floyd Mayweather fight where Floyd's always kind of on the defense and then he's you know, counterpunching every now and again to steal a few rounds. I'm not saying that per se, but do if you can just play solid football, what if you do this? What if you don't turn the ball over mm-hmm. and in the red zone you bow up, forcing the field goals? What does what does that do? What does that do for you as, as a team? As long as you're running do? the rock and Terod can make some plays through the air and with his legs. Look, I love that he had the longest run last week. Mm-hmm. I don't love that necessarily, but I love that he was willing to do that. Yeah, you know, because he's going to have to do that a time or two a game in order for this offense to have some success. Yep. You know, I do love that all three running backs scored in some way, shape, or form. All three. I mean, I'm. Should include Burkhead in there. Sorry, yeah. Rex. But you know what I'm saying. The right. three that we talked about mostly during the offseason before Burkhead showed up later in the offseason. You know, it's. I, I think if you're the Browns and you're trying to dissect the Houston offense, you're saying, hey, I don't care which running back's in the game. We just got to stop the run. But now they can throw it to them. Yep. Or sometimes they did have two in there, yep. right? Yep. And you went wild Ingram. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah. That's still in your golf bag, and you're going to whip that club out every once in a while. And what did I say in training camp? I was off a little bit. About Landry asked us a question, who's going to be the starting running back, and my first thought was, I think it could be two. Yeah. And I was close. Well, you were close. I was close. Look, we always thought Ingram would would be the first guy there, and they'll go with whoever has the hot legs on the day, right? And they're going to ride that Ingram horse as long as they can. But there are going to be games when Lindsey goes off. There are going to be games when Burkhead makes big plays. Yep. And obviously David Johnson can catch the ball and can still run the ball. Yep. And they'll just have to pick the right spots. That's the thing. You need that timely hitting on offense, and it's up to Tim Kelly to figure that yep. out. Uh, I, I can't wait to watch it. Of course, we all can't wait. Sunday at noon. Man, who doesn't live for Sunday at noon? My goodness. 1 o'clock if you're going to the game. Mm-hmm. It's Cleveland <laughs> Eastern time. So keep that in mind. Don't get that messed up. It's yep. 1 o'clock if you're going to the game there. But if you're here at home – it's noon kick. All right, we get back. It's in the lap time. Drew and I talked about a little bit of what went right against the Jags and what to look forward to against the Browns in the lap. Next, Texans will access. Texans will access. Texans will access. We are cruising on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, your host, football and sideline reporter, looking very forward. To go into Cleveland. 2014, went to Cleveland. Gray skies, a little chilly. I love that. It reminded me of the 1986 AFC Championship game when the Broncos beat the Browns, one of the great games of all time, the drive. I just love kind of having an association like that. Went back in 2020, last year. Rain, hail, sleet, 55 mile an hour winds, ruthlessly bad day. Mother Nature unleashed now the early early weather report for sunday in cleveland looks halfway decent sunny 
Now, will that hold? 81 degrees, lowest 64. We can handle 81 degrees, I think. I just that 55 mile an hour wind stuff. That was crazy. Kind of like we had here. My goodness. Well, two guys that live here, very proud to be from here. And that's Drew Doherty and myself. And we are the In The Lab crew. And we kicked it off with our podcast this week, talking about the Jags, talking about the Browns, and a few players to watch for this one on Sunday. It's always fun to do an In The Lab in the season, and it's more fun after a Texans win. And that's what the good guys did on Sunday yep. against the Jaguars. I was not surprised that they won. I was surprised that they put up 37. But... I thought, hey, you can beat a rookie quarterback. And all offseason long, you and I have said, I think this offensive line is better. I think this defensive line is better. And the drop-off from Deshaun Watson to Tyrod Taylor, it's significant, yeah. It's going to be significant pretty much from anybody dropping off from Deshaun Watson to anybody. But Tyrod Taylor can still play, and it's not the precipitous drop that you would have from, say, like uh, back in you know 2000 when – the Cowboys went from Troy Aikman down to, you know, in the following years, like Chad Hutchinson and Drew Henson and Anthony Wright and, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think with all that in mind, it's not stunning that they won the game, but I was, I was surprised that they put 37 because we haven't seen that much around here, in, you know, at all, certainly in the last seven, eight years. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, just the numbers that go along with it. The 37 points being the most in an opener, which uh, kind of incredible to think about, but 37 points. And here's the other thing. I know that what people probably saw the box score from around the country, they're like, oh, yeah, Trevor gave him the game, three interceptions. Well, they only had three points off those three interceptions. Yeah. I heard Sean uh, and Seth say this on Tuesday morning as I was listening, driving up, you know, during a tropical storm, I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, boy, they're dead on about this. And Sean said they left points on the field. I think they would all tell you that they yeah. left points on the field and they scored and they scored 37. So they generated 34. I think the thing that was surprising, I tried to think back, okay, what was surprising? What did, what did all of us miss? There are a lot of people that missed a lot of stuff. I don't think we were surprised by how uncomfortable the front four and the pass rush made Trevor. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were surprised that the team played relatively clean that it's been a focus um i wasn't surprised they played with like relative joy i mean there just seemed to be um you know joy and organization um in in camaraderie yeah i think the one thing i was surprised with was the number of plays that that uh tyrod hit down the field you know he had pharaoh i think both now he had the one-handed catch but he also had the other one where he got out of pocket and found pharaoh on a crossing route and then pharaoh dragged guys there were the two with cooks yeah yeah, the two to Cooks. I mean, there were at least four or five plays where they went over 29, 30 yards, um, which I, did, I didn't expect. Um, you know, we do all this offseason work, and we, you know, we've all, you know, all in lab work, we're like, okay, who's going to lead the team reception? Okay, we think it's Cooks. Okay, who's second? Who's it going to be? Well, if they re-sign Fuller, well, then Fuller's not going to sign here. Okay, well, then maybe it's going to be these guys. Oh, maybe it's going to be the tight ends. No, we had no idea it was going to be Danny Amendola. Um, who tied for the team lead with five catches. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't surprising that it wasn't somebody that was on the roster. We just kind of – we could see that there was maybe going to be some move that went with it. We just weren't sure. But that to me was probably the, the most surprising thing was that 
Uh, they generated plays down the field. I thought this would be very much, you know, just keep chopping away, chopping away. And there might be periods of that. Yeah, but I think we're going to see that. I think we'll see games like that this year. Yeah, sure. I think we will. I think there might be some games you have to slog through. But hopefully, you know, they can win those games 13-12 or 17-15, whatever. But yeah. they showed they could put some points on the board, which I thought was a really bright um, was a bright thing coming out of that game. They didn't win that thing 7-6 and kind of muddle through. They were offensively efficient in mm-hmm. everything that they did for the most part. Yeah. They had that long, you know, second drive was, you know, a 14-play drive and really chewed yeah. up a lot of clock. But two things from what you just answered that I think you need to be added on to before we get into the Cleveland game. You talked about n- not really getting any points off those three turnovers, three points off yeah. three turnovers. I mean, that's almost inexcusable. In a, in a, I mean, it's certainly inexcusable in a loss, and it's really right. – it's, it's not alarming, but it's, it's what every one of those guys, whether it was Cully – or any one of those players, they all, uh, every one of them after the game or yesterday on Monday, they all said, we still got a lot to work on. We got a lot to clean up. And that's been a a good thing. You know, that's been a a refreshing thing to hear. They are not satisfied. They're happy, but they're definitely not satisfied. And so they focused on that. that, That's going to be something they got to clean up. And you even saw it in Cully's locker room speech, you know, Hey, we still got to clean up a lot of mistakes and we're going to correct them. And then the second thing, uh, was the deep ball you know that was the big thing in training camp and in preseason they can't throw the deep ball it's never going to happen Tyrod Taylor just can't do it and Tyrod Taylor said it he said it's coming it'll you know just just be patient it's going to be here it'll happen and a few of his teammates said it you know in the run-up you know during the preseason and I think maybe some of us thought that was lip service and it's just like you know it's being said to be said, but he backed it up. You know, he did, he was able to go deep a, a few times and, and really open things up. So if he continues to do that, that gives, that gives other teams when they're studying the Texans, you know, more to consider, because I think there's, there's this idea, well, they want to run the ball and this guy can't throw. So let's just stack the box. Well, that's not the case. And we'll see how much that's not the case this weekend. Cause it's a good, it's a different test going up to Cleveland a lot more veteran squad, a lot yeah. higher talent on that squad. And we're going to get into that in a sec, but you got a follow-up. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I, I think it was really interesting. You, and you just brought up something that, that struck me because I thought this early in the game. When Shaquille Griffin, second play of the game, jumped that route on the outside. It was the speed out. It's stealing five yards, really. And he sat on that sucker. He sat yeah. on that route and broke on it and just couldn't hang on to the interception. Man, how different is the game if he comes up with an interception and they yeah. score? And, boy, it, it could make the game totally and completely different. And I remember thinking after that, like, man, we're really going to have to back them off because they're just going to sit low and sit low and sit low, and they're going to get one. And I think it was those deep plays that started backing them off a little bit, and then they started getting some stuff underneath. I think – Cooks get that deep ball. They score the touchdown. The next drive, Chris Conley then gets the dig route underneath him. He, they backed him off. Like, hey, wait a second. That deep ball still viable because Cooks can still get downfield. We've got to back up a little bit. And I think that was really what helped him. But that, that first throw worried me. And that was my exact thought was, dang it. Are we going to be able to push it down the field enough to back them off? And they eventually did that. And I think that's going to have to be the MO. Like, look take what they give you but if they give you that deep ball go take it and week one was a good sign that they went and took it and did a good job doing it you know the older i get 
the more unsure I get when people ask me, Hey, what do you think is going to happen today? I had, you know, a few coworkers, a <laughs> few friends, a few fans say, yeah. Hey, what do you think is going to happen? Today? I, was, I don't know. I think we can win. Mm. Nothing's nothing yeah. surprises me anymore. Nothing at all surprises me. And looking at this game ahead against Cleveland. I don't know. Nothing would surprise me. I mean, what happened last year? You had basically a monsoon blast through in a four minute span and you had to clear everybody out, fans, players included. Um, and then you go out there and you move the ball at will in between the twenties with ease in between the twenties on a, a really good defense. And then when you get down inside the 20, inside the 10, inside the five, you bog down and you lose by what? Uh, it was a 21, seven typish game, but it was really like a one score game until um, yeah. Nick Chubb broke that, that, that long run late. But I just have no idea because you've got a lot of guys. I mean, they're, they're all extra motivated in comparison to other teams of the past with the Texans because of so many one-year deals. But then you've got this little subset of guys like Tyrod Taylor, Pharaoh Brown. I guess you could throw Eric Murray in there, but former Browns who are on this team who've got, I'm sure they've got, you know, I don't want to say axes to grind, but little hatchets to kind of, yeah. to rub on the whetstone, <laughs> but they've got, you know, a little bit of extra juice and maybe that doesn't mean a hill of beans, but I do think there is a little something to that. And I'm, I'm fascinated by what happens because they know the personnel clearly and they know what they're capable of. And they think they're capable of a lot more than maybe a lot of people outside the building think I can't wait. It's, this is a much better litmus test for where this team stands and um, I'm just excited. What do you think is the key as far as what the Texans have to do to slow down this Chiefs team? Well, because, and before you say it, because I, when I was working in the post game, writing some articles and stuff, I had the Chiefs Chiefs Browns game up. Yeah. And I saw the Chiefs up, or excuse me, I saw the, the Browns up big, but never once did I think they were going to pull it off. I mean, I was always of the mind, well, yeah. pretty soon Mahomes and company, they're going to go, and they did and they pulled away and they did what they I thought they could do yeah and I think there's a lot a lot of reasons for that you know having watched the game you know there's that Mahomes Tyreek connection that's been there this is now the fourth year you know Kelsey and Mahomes same thing fourth year those guys are together I think what the Browns did a really nice job of was wrecking the pocket a few times for Mahomes now like Patrick, Tyrod can get out of the pocket. If you wreck it, he gets out of there. I mean, the couple of big plays that he made were because he was able to get himself out of the pocket, Houdini-like or David Blaine-like, and, and go make a playoff structure. But he made a lot of plays in structure. And David Blaine, key, I like I that think. little reference for the kids. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, change, change it from Houdini to David Blaine. No I like Houdini sounds cooler. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, no, it does sound cooler. But, um, you know, Houdini-Blaine sounds like a Big Ten conference football award they give out the houdini blaine award goes to tyrod taylor um anyhow uh the browns are extremely athletic and where they need to be gritty and tough they are gritty and tough Um, yeah this is a different different ball of wax in that front seven of the jags golly yeah Yeah. it is maybe Um, the best maybe the best one of the best in the game and garrett and then Clowney. we know what we know what the heck he can do yeah it's just yeah yeah. and and it's deeper and 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 look the, the thing about it is the first play of the game against the Chiefs, I watched number 58 just swallow up this run. I mean, he just whips the guard and just swallows up this run. And I'm like, that's not Christian Barmore because Barmore went to the Patriots. Like, who is that? And I go look, and it's Malik McDowell. And I'm like, whoa. And if you remember Malik McDowell, 
he was a guy that had all kinds of issues when he went to Seattle. He had a car accident. He had issues off the field. And the Browns basically picked him up for a song, and he's now starting for them. And he's as athletic as any interior guy that Texas are going to face. You add him to Garrett to Clowney. They add Anthony Walker from the Indianapolis Colts. Greg Newsom, they draft. They are athletic defensively. Look, they're not fallible. They're not, they're not the 72 Dolphins. You know, they, they're, they're going to make mistakes. And I was, there were times that Mahomes had a ton of time in the pocket where the pass rush just didn't get there. So I, you just gonna, this is going to have to be one you slog through where you establish a line of scrimmage, you hit them in the mouth physically. And that's the one thing the Chiefs were not going to do. The Chiefs just weren't going to hit them right in the mouth um in at all that's not what the chiefs do that's not their mo i think that is our mo uh up front especially and on a defensive side look you're gonna have to answer that physical offensive line with smart physical play and then your linebackers can't be jumping out of gaps um there were a couple times uh one linebacker in particular jumping out of a gap you gotta play it strong you gotta take on blocks uh and then when you're there to make a play you gotta wrap these guys up Chubb and Hunt are as good after first contact as any two backs you're going to find. And because they can go one, two, they're always, always fresh. So you got to match it such that you slow down any direct runway for them. You got to make everything try and bounce and then give your secondary time to get there and help out and then team tackle all day long. Texan to watch for you against the Browns is Zach Cunningham. I think Zach Cunningham's going to have his hands full. The position he plays uh, asks a lot because he's got to take on Chubb. He's got to take on Hunt. He's got to fight through blocks up front, but he's also uh, got to be pristine in coverage. The tight ends that the Browns have, you know, Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant and Joku. Now, now he's not matched up on all of them in man-to-man, but he can, and they might ask him to because you can't get into nickel and dime against these guys especially in second and seven or third and five, they'll just run the ball. They did it against the Chiefs a couple of times. The Chiefs went on nickel and they were like, all right, you got five guys up front. We like our numbers count in the box. We'll run it. And they did. So that's where a guy like Zach Cunningham has to play like a safety, like a linebacker and a defensive end all wrapped into one. He's the one to me, he's the one big focus that the Texans, um, that the Texas defense will have. And he's got to play at a high – in the second half of the game against the Jaguars, I felt like he played at a Zach Cunningham standard. The first half, it felt like he was kind of just trying to feel his way through, kind of tiptoeing in the dark, you know. And the second half, the light was on and he played. And hopefully he's got to play like that for 60 minutes against these guys for sure. That's a good choice. I'm going to go with whoever plays right tackle. And then I think you're going to see Marcus Cannon a lot. I think you might see a little Jaron Christian. How's Andy Heck? Is he back? Maybe. He's he's on the COVID list. But I'm not worried about Laramie Tunsil. I think he's going to get his against whoever is lining up opposite him. But And we've seen Tunsil play very well against Clowney in the past, if Clowney is indeed over him. But over on that other side, if it's Miles Garrett, you're going to – I think the Texans will have a nice plan. You know, I don't – they're not going to leave these guys on an island and they're right. going to have help. That's where Farrell Brown, I think, will come in some and whoever – Anthony Alclair, if he's in the game. But – um yeah, whoever's lining up at right tackle, because we saw a few different faces last game against the Jaguars, and I think you'll probably see that again. Cannon, like David Culley mentioned yesterday, was on a pitch count. Um, they're wanting to keep him fresh, wanting to, to ramp him back, because you know he 
didn't play any preseason games. He just got activated right. what last week. So right. big task and Texans will have a plan, but miles Garrett is a bit of a plan wrecker and yes, that's is. why he's one of the best. That's why he gets paid the way he does. And that's who I'm looking at, Johnny, whoever lines yep. up at right tackle. That's a good one. Uh, I didn't mind the rotation with Marcus and, and Geron. I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah. You're bringing up Laramie. You can tell that, that because it's time it's a training camp, Laramie and Titus aren't quite together yet with some of the things that they're doing, but they will get there. I don't worry about that. The one thing that I noticed that I really liked from those two was not so much in pass protection, but in the run game. Go watch the first play of the game. Now, this happened a few times. I'm telling you right now, the difference in this offensive line from Titus Howard from right tackle to left guard is evident and visible. First play of the game. They is that take the one he pancaked tackle. the guy? And no, not, no, this is the first play of the game. It was not pancake. They took Devon Hamilton and knocked him seven yards downfield on a double team. And mm-hmm. I was like, yo, man, they, they run block like this. Forget it. They've got to work on some, some T, T stunts and ET stunts and some of those things, kind of pass some guys off. They didn't um, have that clearly down, but that comes with time and yeah. synergy, and they'll, they'll get back there. I'm not worried about that. Um, but if there's anybody to handle Miles um, Garrett one-on-one in the best way possible, you know, there's some, there's some players when you face them, you're like, man, how are we going to match up with this guy? A lot of times if they got an edge rusher, I'm like, you know, we're okay. We're going to be all right. Because I think Laramie handles on one-on-one. And I think on the other side, if you got to help Marcus, you got to help Jaron, that, that's fine. But you don't have to worry about helping both of them. Uh, yeah. And that, that's a good thing. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, look, I think what we've learned about this team since the time we saw it for good in training camp was they'll play together. Yep. They'll play hard. They'll play for another. And they'll play for this coaching staff. So they're going to have and fun. They're going to like that's, enjoy That's it. worth it. That's yeah. all That's all worth it. It really is. And I think that camaraderie really comes through in the way they play for each other and with one another. Kind of like this team, Drew and I have got a chemistry and a synergy. We've had it for a long time, so we appreciate you guys listening to our In the Lab podcast. Final segment, we'll go around the NFL, hit on a few news items that are happening throughout this league, including one that came out of Cleveland that will impact this game on Sunday against the Browns. That's next on Texans Access. Texans will access. Texans will access. We've got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, and we have been jam-packed. We've had Mark, Drew, Deepy, myself. We've also had Nick Casario, Nathan Zagura. We've had a David Culley audio jukebox, and now it's time to go around the NFL. We've hit everything. This note first out of the box is one that I, I said earlier and it pertains to the game on Sunday as I gave you the injury report. Kevin Stefanski said Odell Beckham Jr. will not play this Sunday against the Texans. He was a limited participant in practice. But... That apparently is just ramping him up to when he can get on the field, but he has already been ruled out. Now, until I see it in print, uh, I don't know that I'll believe it. And I'd like to ask Nick, and maybe when I get a chance to see Nick in the hallway, I'll ask him, do you buy it? Like if a coach says it, I mean, can you go with it thinking he's not going to be there? It doesn't mean that the Browns are going to be shorthanded in the pass catcher department. Pro Bowler Jarvis Landry. 4.25 40 fast Anthony Schwartz. 
three dynamic tight ends and two of the best running backs in the league. So yeah, I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to be hurting for weapons, but OBJ today, Kevin Stefanski ruled him out for Sunday. I mentioned the Texans who did not participate in practice today, Desmond King, Farrell Brown, Andre Roberts. Those three did not participate in KPO, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who was uh, out for the opener against the Jags. So they did not practice. Also throughout the league, some, some items to keep an eye on. Here's one from the Dallas Cowboys. Demarcus Lawrence showed up on the injury report as limited practice today. He was magnificent in the opener against the Bucks. Apparently, during the practice, he suffered the injury. So the severity is not clear. But my experience has been when that happens, when a guy pops up on the injury report and he hasn't been previously, that is a huge red flag. Like, oh boy, I hope this is not a bad thing. Demarcus Lawrence is a very fun player to watch, whether you like the Cowboys or not. But Demarcus Lawrence, limited in practice, showing up today on that injury report. Not great news for the Dallas Cowboys. Also not great news for the Las Vegas Raiders. Gerald McCoy brought in to shore up that interior position for the Raiders, having another season ended with surgery. McCoy has been a fantastic player and was a fantastic player in this league. And over the last two, three years, the injury bug has felled him. Last year, he was with the the Cowboys and he ruptured his quad in practice that into that season. He got hurt the other night against the Ravens and that will end this year. He was carted off with an injury. Two straight years, Gerald McCoy, 33 years old, former pro bowler, Two straight years in a row, he is missing due to an injury. The Raiders have signed Damian Square to replace him, and that's that's a blow to the Raiders. I thought the Raiders are kind of all over the place, but with the way Max Crosby played out on the edge, you got Gerald McCoy, you got some others. You thought, okay, there were some pieces there, but not going to have Gerald McCoy, that veteran influence, for the rest of the year. And that is going to be a big-time, big-time blow. Indianapolis Colts. Three players they do not want to see on the DMP list. Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Xavier Rhodes. All were on the DMP list on Wednesday. Yikes. That is not good news for the Indianapolis Colts. After losing last week to the Seattle Seahawks, and didn't look good doing it. Now they've got their three major players injured. Leonard, Rhodes, and Quentin Nelson. Boy, that's a... That's a tough nut right there as the Colts have got the Los Angeles Rams coming to Indy on Sunday. Let's go, Matt Stafford. All right, that's going to do it for the show this evening. Got to thank Mark Vandermeer, Nick Casario, Nathan Zagura, DP Sidhu, Drew Doherty, and all of you for listening. Thanks to my man, Jimmy Mudd. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.